You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, on that note, Merry Christmas, Radiant Church. <laughs> hey, thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. If you are new with us, welcome. My name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. We are so honored and blessed that you would worship with us this Sunday. Hey, you guys, I have a couple of housekeeping items I need to get out of the way uh, quickly here. Number one, I want to highlight again our December 24th, our Christmas Eve service times. Now listen, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday morning. These times are different than our normal times, so I want you to pay attention. 9, 10, 30, 12 p.m. Each service is about an hour long. These are family services. That means all of our kids will be in here. We'll have our nursery open for the first two services, so just kind of keep that in mind, parents. It will be a great time for you to attend, to bring a friend, to invite someone. And I need your help. You can do two things to help us here at Radiant Church. Number one, would you go to guest services, grab a card. It's a little invite card. It says Christmas at Radiant right here. Grab one or two of these. Give these to your friends. Give them to your family members, your enemies. Bring them here so they can get saved as well, okay? Um, If you see one of our videos online like uh, Instagram or Facebook, hey, would you do me a favor? Like it and share, right? Like it and share and help us to get the word out. Um, Christmas Eve is one of our, actually it is, it's our highest attended service of the year. So it's likely we'll have 600, 700 people here just in those three services. So it will be an amazing time for you to celebrate and remember and reflect on the goodness of Jesus in his first coming. And then next on the agenda is, again, I want to remind you, we have our Give Hope offering coming up. This is an offering that is above the tithe, and this is an offering that goes to our strategic, radiant, uh, local ministry partners, both locally, I should say, and globally, actually, as well. And so we're going to give to help the gospel go forward locally here and globally as well, and different organizations like uh, Youth for Christ, the Blue Water, Thumb Area, Life Clinic, Good Samaritan Rescue Mission. We support them um, uh, monthly. Christ for India, so the gospel can go to the Indian people. Uh, Christ uh, or Iglesia Radiente in Mexico, so we want to help support that church as well. And then we're going to meet some benevolent needs here within our church. So we would love for you to give to that. That's at the end of our service, and I'll take that offering up. The ushers will come around. Uh, We'll pray over that as we give to that just a little bit later. Well, today, listen, we are in part number five. This is a message series entitled Jesus and the End Times. Hey, church, how's this for a holiday sermon series, right? Wow. So in all seriousness, though, uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and if you, you may have heard that word before, Advent, and that word is actually a Latin word, and that word actually means this. It means coming or arrival, coming or arrival. So when we celebrate Advent in the church, we're doing two things, actually. Number one, we're, we're remembering and we're reflecting upon Jesus' first coming, and we're remembering and we're honoring our Savior coming 
to this earth, that he dwelled among man. He dwelled among us. That's incredible that the God of the universe would come and come and get himself dirty and come and dwell with his people. But number two, we're also doing this. We're also, Advent is also a time where we, we stir our hearts and we look forward to what? To his second coming because he's coming back. We, we know this and this is what we're looking at in our sermon series. If you want to catch up on this message series, hey, I would love for you to go to YouTube. Just go to the search bar and type in Radiant Church Bay City. Would you subscribe? We have over 500 subscribers, and I'd love to get to, to 1,000 subscribers. So subscribe so you don't miss a message. And then we'll wrap up this message series on December 17th. That will be our last part of our series. Well, if you are new today, let me take a moment. I want to just catch you up. What is this series all about? Jesus and the end times. Well, let me just explain. The Bible teaches that our, our world, the world as we know it right now, that our world is eventually going to come to an end. Jesus is going to come back to the earth, and he's going to bring his kingdom here in its fullness. And what does that mean? It means this. It means that Jesus is going to abolish all sickness and disease. No more death. No more diseases like cancer. In fact, Revelation tells us that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye. Isn't that amazing? He's going to come and right every wrong. Now, here's the thing. This is the hope for all of humanity. This is the hope for all of humanity. Not another politician, right? Not more government structure, but actually it's in Jesus. This is our hope. All of humanity needs Jesus. Now, in the Bible, Jesus never tells us a date that when he's going to come back. So we don't know, right? We don't know this. But here's what Jesus does for us. He gives us signs. And these signs are truly, they're events, events that have to take place in order for his return to come to fruition. These are things that need to take place in our world or uh, that we'll see take place in order for Jesus to come back. Now, one of those things that Jesus spoke about in the New Testament is he spoke about um, a leader coming to power whose name Scripture calls as the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And so my title for this message today is The Rise of the Antichrist, The Rise of the Antichrist. You see, the Bible tells us that the Antichrist will be a leader. He will take a global platform. He will be a great leader. He will be a leader with great influence, and he will be a leader with great, great power. He's going to come to rise. He's going to come into position, and he will be against or opposed to Jesus himself. Now, that little prefix anti means more than just in opposition to or against. It can actually mean Instead, so the Antichrist will come, he will take a global leadership position, and he will demand worship. He will set himself up in the place of God, and he will want to be worshiped instead of the worship of Jesus taking place. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, a lot of you know this already, but Matthew 24, Jesus calls him the abomination that causes desolation. And Jesus says, when you see him, 
When you see him come into power, he's like, hey, I told you so, right? The end is near. So even Jesus warns us about this particular man. Now, today I get to talk about the Antichrist to all of you, to those of you who are watching online as well. But I don't want to end my message glorifying the enemy. I don't want to end the message just talking about this evil leader. I want us to end our message glorifying Jesus Christ. And so at the end of our message, here's what I want to do. I'm going to compare and contrast the Antichrist to Jesus Christ. And when we do so, we're going to see just how good, how true, how beautiful, how glorious our Savior truly is. In fact, the more that I study the Antichrist, the more that I want to give my life over to Jesus, the more I want to follow the, the true Lamb, follow our great Savior. And so that's my hope. That's my heart today, that as we talk about the Antichrist, you're like, man, this is crazy. This is scary. Like, the world is out of control. Like, I want to know Jesus, and I want to I do that today. I want to challenge you that you'll set your heart on our Savior, our King, our real King, and that you'll be aware of the things that are to come. Because Jesus wants us to be aware so that we're prepared at or for his glorious return. You know, a lot of Bible teachers, when we talk about the end times, they will emphasize or highlight all the birth pains. But the birth pains are, are not the thing that we should really be focusing all of our attention on. It's actually his glorious return. Amen, church? So we study these things not so we can hit the panic button, not so we can freak out and be like, oh, right, the, falls, the sky is falling down. No, no, no. We study these things so that we can be prepared and so that we can desire the return of our Savior. Amen? Amen. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this message. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today. Um, God, would you just come and uh, set captives free? Would you open blind eyes, unlock deaf ears? Would you soften uh, some of our hard hearts, Lord, because life gets hard, and, and because life gets difficult, our hearts can become very, very hardened, God. So would you come and, and soften hearts today? Would you draw men and women and children to you? Father, I pray that many would just place their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ, the, the true king. There's so many counterfeits right now. Father, I pray that uh, the church, our eyes would be fixed upon the glorious return of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, come and do the work that only you can do. I cannot do it, but only you can draw people to you to see how beautiful Jesus truly is. It's not just a, a church thing. It's not just a religious thing. It's a, an entire life thing that we give our whole lives to you. So, Jesus, would you be magnified uh, today as we gather, as we hear your word proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, you guys, let's dive into the message. As we're talking about the Antichrist, listen, the Bible actually has all kinds of different titles uh, for him, okay? So I want us to look at that. We'll put them on the screen here, one at a time. But the Apostle John calls him the Antichrist in his letters of 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, 22, and then later on in chapter 4. So John, remember he's called the Beloved in the Gospel of John. He calls him the Antichrist, okay? But John, he also wrote the book of what? Of Revelation. So John also calls him the Beast, the Beast. And we're going to look at that chapter today, actually, Revelation 13. So he's known as the Beast. Uh, Daniel in the Old Testament 
calls him the desolator. Isn't that a cool title, kind of? Kind of sounds like a transformer, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> desolator, right? He's, a, he's also called uh, the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, kind of an unusual title. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament calls the Antichrist the man of lawlessness or the son of destruction or the son of perdition in other translations. You can read about that in the letter of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In the Old Testament, he's called the Assyrian, Micah 5, 5, Isaiah 10, and Isaiah 14. Isaiah in the Old Testament also calls the Antichrist the king of Babylon, the king of Babylon. And then we also have in the Old and the New Testament that the Antichrist is called Gog. Isn't that an interesting name? Gog, you may have heard that, Gog and Magog. That's from Ezekiel 38 and then Revelation chapter 20. Gog, who stems from Magog. And then finally, Jesus, we know this title. Jesus says of the Antichrist, that he is the abomination that causes desolation. The abomination that causes desolation. And this is found in Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. A lot of you are familiar with this. But Jesus calls him uh, this title, which actually, for uh, those who, of you who know this, this is found in, in Daniel chapter 9 of the Old Testament as well. So uh, Jesus is actually using Daniel's title to refer to a leader who's yet to come. He's prophesying of a, of a future leader. Now, here's what I want to say. When it comes to this man, this leader known as the Antichrist, throughout all of history, okay, throughout all of history, there have been many leaders, many rulers who have come into power, and people have, have thought they to be the Antichrist, right? In fact, the question has been asked. It's a question that will continue to be asked. Who is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? And behind me, I have this little collage of some leaders. I think most of you will probably recognize a lot of these leaders, these world leaders behind me. But truly, many people have thought those behind me to be the Antichrist. And this goes all the way back to 40 AD, okay? There was an emperor, a Roman emperor, by the name of Caligula. And Caligula demanded, he was the only or the first emperor that demanded people to worship him while he was still alive. Crazy, right? He was like, he was demanding people to worship him. But it goes back further, you guys. It goes back further. There's a Seleucid ruler, in other words, a Greek ruler, by the name of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Now, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, in his effort to really outlaw Judaism, his, his attempt to Hellenize Judea, here's what he did. He desecrated the Jewish temple by offering the sacrifice of a pig on an altar to Zeus in the year 167 B.C., and if you know your history, you know that this led to the Maccabean Revolt. Okay? In Jewish history, this led to the Maccabean Revolt. And so many people during that time, listen, have thought Antiochus IV to be the abomination that causes desolation, the Antichrist. Okay? Now, I would say he's a partial fulfillment of that, but he's not the full fulfillment of that, that there is yet to be a leader to come. So, I mean, just look at this 
picture behind me. Leaders like Adolf Hitler, right? Uh, Mussolini, Stalin, uh, Napoleon. I mean, check this out. Probably every president in history at one point or another has been called the Antichrist. Even like popes have been called the, the Antichrist, okay? But what does the Bible say about who this leader will be? Okay? Lots of speculation. We know that. But what does the Bible say about who this leader who will take power, who will he be? Well, let's examine scripture to find out. And here's what I want to do. I want, to, I want us to go to, to, to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And if you've never read Revelation, it's pretty wild. Um, there's a lot of symbolic language there, okay? I'm going to help clarify some things. What I want to do as we look at Revelation 13 is I want to give you six characteristics of the Antichrist, six things that we should be looking for, again, for the purpose that the people of God should be ready. Why? So that we might not be deceived because a lot of people, I'm talking like millions of people, are going to be deceived, even, even churchgoers, a lot of churchgoers, right? People are kind of on the fence, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of go to church, but I don't really go to church. I'm kind of a Christian, but I'm not really a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, I kind of say I am. I, I don't worship the devil, so I guess I'm a Christian. Eh, probably not, though, right? So, <laughs> for real. And so, the idea is many, many people are going to be deceived. And I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. So, that means, guess what? We got to study this. We got to get ready. And then, again, we'll end our message by glorifying Jesus. So let's go to Revelation 13, beginning in verse number one. If you have a smartphone, pull out your Bible app or a real Bible, pull it out. Here's what it says. The dragon, which if you don't know who the dragon is, I'm just going to tell you, the dragon is Satan. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Now John is having this vision, this apocalyptic vision, apocalyptic Jewish literature. This is kind of that category of how we come to understand the book of Revelation. John, the apostle, is seeing these things. He said, the dragon stood on the shore, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The beast is the Antichrist, by the way. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words, blasphemies, and to exercise its authority for 42 months, that's three and a half years. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those, that is, John says, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Any guess at who the Lamb is? Jesus, that's right. The Lamb is Jesus, of course. Whoever has ears, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, 
Into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This cause, now notice this last verse, church, because this is really, really informative. This is really telling for all of us today. Listen, it says this. This cause for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Patient endurance, and guess what, and, and what, and faithfulness, like just being faithful to God. A lot of people are going to go the opposite direction. They're going to be like, you know what, the beast is awesome, Jesus, I'm not so sure about him, I'm going with the beast. It's going to happen, okay, and we may even see it, who knows, it could be five years from now, it could be 500 years from now, we don't know, but this is what will happen, and so John says, listen, this is going to take patient endurance, and you're going to have to be faithful, right, God's people will have to do these things. So let's begin. Six characteristics of the Antichrist. Number one, the Antichrist, listen, church, will be a wicked leader. I want you to notice this. The Antichrist will be a wicked leader. He's not going to be righteous. He's not going to be holy. He's not going to be a godly leader. He is going to be a wicked leader. That word beast in the Greek is the Greek word therion. And that word therion means uh, wild or um, a venomous animal, even a monster, right? A monster is what the Bible calls him. The world will see him as a beauty, okay? The world will see him as a beauty, but God knows his real character. God will see him as a beast, as a beast. Paul describes him as the man of lawlessness, and John, the apostle, it's in 1 John chapter 3, I believe. John says this. John says that anyone who makes a practice of sinning, like if that's your practice, he says you're of the devil. It's like, ooh, ouch, right? And then he says this. Anyone who makes a practice of sinning is a lawless one. No sort of adherence to the law, whether that's, you know, the legal law or the law of God. It's just, you know, he doesn't care about the law of God, or any legal sort of rules. He's the lawless one. He's a beast. And I think at first, this world leader will appear to be smooth and charming, and he's going to be charismatic, and he's going to have, like, all the answers. People are going to be like, wow, he's amazing. We love this guy. Oh, my gosh, he's so great. Like, look at what he's doing. But then three and a half years into this thing, okay, there's a seven-year period of time where he will make a deal with Israel, a peace treaty. Three and a half years into that, he will break it, is what the Bible tells us, and he will reveal his true colors to be what? To be a beast, to be a wicked ruler. So that's number one. Number two, the Antichrist will be a powerful political and military leader who will seek world domination. He will seek world domination. I said this before, but let me say it again. The language in the book of Revelation, I get it. It's kind of confusing. It's highly symbolic. But I want you to notice that the language in Revelation here, chapter 13, actually the vision that, that John has actually matches the vision that Daniel has in Daniel chapter 7 of the Old Testament, which is crazy. So listen, here's your homework. Go and read Daniel chapter 7 later on and then compare Daniel 7 to Revelation 13 and you're going to see some different details. But generally speaking, it's the same vision. There's like the same attributes are being brought out. 
Now, again, the beast is who? The Antichrist. And the serpent is, of course, Satan. Sometimes in the Bible, the serpent or Satan is called a, a snake, or he's referred to as a dragon. And so we know that the dragon is Satan. What else do we see from what we've read already? Well, John says that he's going to have 10 horns with 10 different crowns. What does that mean? Well, it means this. It speaks to the fact that the Antichrist will have just an immense amount of power and influence in the world. But it also speaks to this. It speaks to the fact that the Antichrist will rule over a 10-nation empire. Daniel tells us this as well. A 10-nation empire. So 10 nations will come together, and they'll form an empire. There'll be a ruler over that empire. But the Antichrist wants more than 10 nations. He wants the world. So he will seek world domination. He will be an evil, a power-hungry leader. That's number two. Number three, the Antichrist will be a spiritual world leader. So, so check, check this out. He's not just, he's not just a, a political leader. Okay, He's not just a military leader. He's actually a spiritual leader as well. And we know this because why? Well, the Bible tells us here. Again, let's go back to verse 4. I want to read that one more time. John says this, People worship the dragon, that's Satan, because he had given authority to the beast. And then I have underlined, And they also worshiped the beast. And they asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Now skip down to verse number 8. Verse number 8 says this, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Okay, All inhabitants of the earth all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. What what do we see here? We see that the Antichrist, listen, is a spiritual leader. His authority will be acknowledged worldwide. Listen, and he's, he's basically being worshiped by everyone all over the planet. This is wild. A lot of Bible prophecy teachers um, believe that the Antichrist will, will come, and when he comes, he's going to set up this one-world religion and he's going to, this, this false church, so to speak, and he's going to create it, but he's also going to enforce it. He's going to force you to worship him. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will worship him. Now, did you notice in verse number four, did you notice the questions, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? These questions are really a direct mockery of our God, in opposition to our God. Now, whenever you look at the Old Testament, there are many, many times in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, where that question is asked of the true God, right? Who is like our God, right? Mighty to save, mighty in battle. Who is like him? Let me, let me just show you one time, one occurrence. Psalm 35, 10. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them. The poor and needy from those who rob them. So in every place in the Old Testament where we see these questions, who is like the Lord? Who is like him? The implied answer, listen, the assumed answer is no one, right? No one is like our God. No one is as strong as he is. No one is as powerful as our heavenly father. No one can match him. And, but when it's used 
these questions will be used to the beast, to the Antichrist. And it's the same way the world will say, who is like the Antichrist? Who's like the beast? Man, nobody can take him. He's awesome. Man, he's, a, he's an amazing leader. He has united everyone in the Middle East, and now he's going to unite everyone all over the world. Wow. Who can go against this guy? Nobody can, right? It's used in a, in a, in a sense as a direct mockery to our God. Because whatever, whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Listen to what Paul says about the beast in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. He says this, don't let anyone deceive you in any way because a lot of people are going to be tricked. They're going to be fooled. Christians are going to be deceived. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And here it is. The man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is crazy, right? So, so he's going to set himself up in the temple, and the temple is the temple in Jerusalem, and that means there needs to be a, a, a Jewish state. That's why we pray for Israel, right? Because there needs to be a Jewish state that's in existence. This is what the Bible teaches, that Jesus, that Jesus will actually return on the Mount of Olives, and he'll walk through the Eastern Gate, I believe it is, right? But this Antichrist, before Jesus comes... He will set himself up in that temple, and he will proclaim himself to be God, thereby what? Desecrating the temple. This is, uh, again, this is shadows of Epiphanes IV in history, the abomination that causes desolation. This is who Jesus is referring to. So this Antichrist, he will begin this worldwide worship movement, and he would demand that people worship him. Number four, the Antichrist will first target Jews and then Christians for death. He will target Jews and then Christians for death. You, you may remember just a few weeks ago, I've, I've, I spoke on the rise of anti-Semitism. Where is this coming from, right? Where, we see the rise of Jew hatred in our nation all over the world. Where, where does it come from? We see its roots. We know in Scripture Scripture tells us where it comes from, and we see in Revelation chapter 12, if you weren't with us, I'll summarize it real quick, but in Revelation 12, just a chapter behind where we're at right now, John has a vision of a woman. She has, uh, I think there's 12 stars around her representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The woman essentially represents a symbolic of the Jewish nation. The woman is pregnant, and she's about to give birth, and she's going to give birth, John says, to a ruler who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Who is this ruler? It's none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But the dragon is right before the woman, and the dragon wants to what? To devour the child, because he wants to what? Destroy the Messiah. And so from the very beginning of time, here's what we need to know. Satan has waged a war. He's waged a war against the Jewish people, against the the Messiah, and eventually, of course, not eventually, but even now, against the church as well. Notice verse number 17 in Revelation 12. I want to go back just a little. Here's what it says. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? John says, those who keep God's commands and hold fast 
their testimony about Jesus. Listen, or leave that verse up on the screen for just a moment. The, the, the dragon is enraged at the woman. The woman is the Jewish people, but then the dragon goes on to wage war with who? Christians, the church, the church. And so we need to know that the Antichrist, listen, will eventually do cause great suffering on Jewish people and on the church Christians themselves. This is the only passage that's, that makes a specific reference to Satan making a direct target of both Jews and Christians. And we know, listen, we know this is speaking of the end times because in Revelation chapter 12, it refers to this, this, this period of time of 1,260 days or a time, times, and a half a time. That is what? Three and a half years that the Antichrist is given authority to wage war, complete, complete devastation upon the Jewish people and the church, those who are following Jesus. Revelation 13, verse number seven says this, it was given, this is the beast, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people, that's us, and to conquer them, okay? And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Now, some of you are wondering, okay, you're wondering, how, how will the Jewish and the Christian people, how will they be targeted? Well, John actually tells us in Revelation chapter 20, verse number four, John tells us, he says, I, he says there I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for their testimony of Jesus Christ. So that tells me that the number one form of execution, the execution style of the Antichrist will be beheading Jewish and Christian people. Some of you are like, mm -hmm, right? <laughs> now, let me just say this. You've heard me say it before. We've noticed the rise of Jew hatred in our nation. It's no surprise. We shouldn't be surprised by this. This is the plot of the enemy. We know that on October 7th, Hamas invaded Israel. It's not political, it's demonic. It's demonic. It's demonically inspired. And the, the attacks that will continue to happen are demonically inspired as well. The enemy has waged a war against the Jews, against the Messiah, and against the church as well. And we need to understand this. Christians, we need to just know we have a very real spiritual enemy that hates us and he wants us dead. You need to know that. Our spiritual enemy wages war with us. And I don't need you to be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. That's not my purpose, okay? Why? Because we already know his end. He's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. Jesus is going to take care of him forever for good, okay? So we don't need to be afraid, not at all. Even if some of us have to give our lives, we know what our end will be. We'll be with Jesus, Right? We will not be those who love their lives even to the end. Okay? We don't have to be afraid, but we need to be aware. We need to be aware of what's to come, whether that's 200 years from now or five years from now. We don't know, but we need to be aware and not be naive of the enemy's tactics, nor be surprised, listen, at the suffering that we may have to endure. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want Christians to be like, you know what? I didn't think we were going to have to go through this. I'm done. No, forget this, man. I don't want to do I don't want anything. I don't want to go through this. This is crazy. Like, uh-uh. 
and then they'll walk away from your faith, or you'll turn your back on Jesus. The great apostasy, we already see that happening right now. It's going to happen more so in the future, and I want you to be prepared. I don't want you to be surprised for the suffering that you may have to endure. Number five, the Antichrist will stage his own resurrection. Now, I, got, I have that word resurrection in quotation marks for a reason. I'll get to that in just a moment, but let me just show you a verse here. This comes back, back in Revelation 13, verse number three, once again. One of the heads of the beasts seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the wound, the fatal wound, had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. So, so notice, right, the word resurrection, I had it in, in quotations, and that is because this will be a counterfeit resurrection staged by Satan. Listen, godly powers are not the only ones that produce miracles or wonders or things, supernatural things. This happens in the darkness all the time. This is why so many people are really just enamored with witchcraft right now, especially in psychics. That's all witchcraft. Um, you know, palm reading, tarot cards, all that's garbage. Listen, if you're here, I'm not going to condemn you. Not at all. We love you. But if you're, you're dabbling in palm reading and psychic reading and, and tarot cards, um, Ouija boards, if you're dabbling in any of that, I want you to throw it in the garbage. I want you to repent and turn to Jesus as soon as you can. Go home. Listen, go home. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. It's demonic, and it will, it will create a stronghold in your life. Why is that, Pastor Marco? The Bible calls it divination. Listen, this is not in my notes. I just feel the Holy Spirit led me to say this for a few moments. The Bible calls it divination, and many people are being led astray. Why? Because they see that there's power in it. It's not godly power. The spiritual world is binary. There's no middle ground. It's either death and the enemy or righteousness. There's no middle ground. No middle ground. Oh, he's nice. She's, it's, it's nice. It's, 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 there's no, it's not a big deal. No, it's demonic, right? So it's either of God or of the devil. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the reality of the spiritual realm. That it's real. And it longs to just pull you in. And you're like, ooh, 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 ooh. I'm going to see this woman, Pastor Marco, today. And she's going she's gonna to tell me. She's been telling me everything, everything that I, I, I went through. And she's told me what my future is going to be like. Because the devil's telling her. That's why. Because the, the, the demonic can see into the spiritual realm. And they have been given a bit of knowledge. They're not all powerful. Don't play with it, okay? Young people, don't play with this stuff. It's, it's gross. It's sickening. It's maddening. And it's absolutely demonic. It's diabolical, okay? And so, so many will be pulled into that. So, back to the Antichrist. The Antichrist, listen, will stage his resurrection. Who gives him the power? Satan gives him the power to stage this resurrection. Why? Because it's in direct mockery to what? To the true resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead. He's going to try to pretend like he's raised from the dead. You see that? There's a, there's a counterfeit version that's competing, that's opposed to Jesus, okay? Now, uh, several Bible commentators have said this, and teachers, scholars have said, apparently the beast will receive what seems to be a fatal blow on his head and then miraculously be healed. Because remember, whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Now imagine with me, I'm not saying it's going to happen this way because I don't know, but you can imagine, just, just play imagination with me for a few moments, okay? Imagine 
every news outlet, every camera set on the casket of the Antichrist, he's received this fatal head wound, and all the news networks are there. Every blogger, every Instagrammer, every TikToker, every, you know, everyone who creates uh, content online is there. Hundreds of cameras are around him, and it seems as if the Antichrist has died, and all of a sudden, just pops right up. Everyone's like, <gasps> and they're like, oh, I'm here live with News 7, and it appears as this leader has risen from the grave, and now, and now it appears that people are singing to him. Yes, yes, yep, more, more update, yep, yep. We, we were, we're also seeing people come around him giving him gifts, correct, right? And, you, 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 and, and then every, every TikToker, every, you know, oh, the beast just got up, dude. The beast is awesome. Like, I love the beast. And every, every you know, really dumb young college kid is going to be, like, enamored, Sorry, I'm not, I, not all of you are dumb, so don't take it that way. Sorry. I love you. Just, I'm the, the dumb ones, though, okay? I, that's, that's not you, but I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> They're like, Pastor Marco, can you dig yourself into a hole more? No. TikTokers are going to be like, dude, yo, it's dope. The, the beast, I just saw it. Yo, I'm going to create a, you know, 10 TikTok reels about how awesome the beast is. And those of you who are getting your theology from social media, you're going to be led astray. A lot of Christians get their theology from, from, from TikTokers, from bloggers, from, from Instagram reels. Listen, I, I, you know, I, I get some of that stuff, but, but don't. You, you, we need to be rooted in God's word is what I'm trying to say. Amen. Amen and amen. Now, one commentator suggested this, that the beast's wounds, listen, the beast's wounded head suggests a previous encounter between the lamb and the beast, probably centered in Christ's death on the cross, which refers back to what? Genesis 3.15. Anybody? Come on, put the pieces together. So that head wound may actually be something that was already there from the lamb himself. And it's one way for Jesus to say, I got you, boy, and your days are numbered. The wound is there, and it's about to be, I'm about to take you down. You may come up temporarily, but I'm coming to destroy you. And this is what Jesus will do. He will destroy the Antichrist when he returns. That's right. We can celebrate that. We know how the book ends, don't we? John says the whole world will be filled with wonder. In other words, the, the people were they're, they're mesmerized at what they had, had seen. Listen, and then it leads to what? It leads to, to, to worship. It leads to worship. Worship of the Antichrist. Finally, number six, the Antichrist will speak boastful and blasphemous words. Let me go back to verse number five. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months, three and a half years, remember that? It opened its mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name in his dwelling place, excuse me, and those who live in heaven. Again, this vision, church, it matches that of Daniel 7. So your homework for this week is go read Daniel 7, okay? At least two times, Daniel says, he spoke boastfully, or depending on your translation, it might say he spoke blasphemies. Daniel refers to this as well. He will not have a self-esteem problem. Let's just say that, okay? He will love selfies because it will always be about him. 
Did you know this church, check this out, did you know that almost all dictators who have risen to power have done so partially through the power of persuasive words? Have you ever watched a speech by Hitler? If you haven't, you should. It's amazing. And I say that in not a good way, but a bad way. It's amazing at what he's able to do with his words. Hitler will come onto the stage, there'll be a sea of people, and at first he's kind of quiet, almost seems like he's a little nervous. But then he moves into Germany's past offenses and begins to cast vision for where he wants to take Germany and the German people. And then as time goes on, he increases what? He, volume, intensity, passion. By the end, near the end of the speech, he's nearly shouting every word in staccato manner, just da, 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 right? And he's shouting, and then all of a sudden, the sea of people just erupt almost with what seems to be worship. And what you see in the crowd is people, Heil Hitler, right? Heil Hitler, and on and forth, and so on. The people in the sea are worshiping him. And I want to just tell you that if it happened then, it can happen again. Persuasive words are powerful, and I think the Antichrist will be someone who has powerful words, who's able to really just mesmerize people and get people to side with his cause. The Bible tells us, though, I want to remind you of what the Bible says when it comes to the proud, though. The Bible says that God, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I want you to, to learn that. If you're humble today, Pastor Marco, my life's a mess, and I'm, I'm a recovering addict, and I'm, the relationship I'm in right now is horrific, and why would God want me? Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done yesterday or your last 10 years. If you're humble and say, Jesus, I need you, you can have him. You'll be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Romans chapter 10, verse 13, I believe it is, will be saved. Well, what about my background? What about what I used to do? And I, and I did that, and I did that. And I know, I used to do a lot of those things too. I'm, I'm just letting you know. Listen, God is pursuing what? A humble heart, a humble heart. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist will be a leader who comes to power. He will seek to be worshiped. And I know a lot of you are like, Pastor Marco, I'd never worship a guy. That's weird, and I would never do that. But again, let me just say it one more time. If we saw it in the past, it means that we can see it again. It can certainly happen again. I'm going to wrap up this message now. I don't want to glorify the enemy. I want to glorify our Savior. So let me just show you five sort of contrasts between Jesus, our Lord, and the Antichrist. Number one, the Antichrist is called what? The man of sin. But Jesus is the sinless man. Number two, the Antichrist in the Old Testament is called the idle shepherd. But Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He wants to lead you beside still waters to places of peace in your life. Number three, the Antichrist is referred to the beast. He's referred to as the beast. But Jesus is what? Referred to as the lamb. The lamb. Number four, the Antichrist's death is meant to deceive people, but Jesus' death is meant to save people. 
And finally, the Antichrist will demand that you worship him or he will kill you. But our Savior has already given his life for you. And so the question stands, whom will you worship? Whom will you serve? Whom will you follow? And here's what I want you to do right now. I don't know when this is going to happen because I can't predict the future. It could be five years from now. It could be 500 years from now. But I just want you to make a decision right now. And if you're not following Jesus, I just want to I, I invite you to do that. Not a place of condemnation. We're not heaping guilt on you. That's not what, that's not what we do here. We love you. We want to embrace you. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We're not concerned about your past. We're concerned about where you're going in the future. Where are you headed? I want you to make a decision. Whom will you worship? The beast or the lamb? The idol shepherd or the good shepherd? The one who takes life or the one who gave his life for you? So I want to just pray quickly. And then after I pray... The ushers will come and begin to take our offering. But let me pray for you right now. Father in heaven, we, we thank you. We thank you for this message, Lord. And Father, as we study the Antichrist, it makes us love and worship even more so Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Father, I pray today if there's anyone who's far from you, God, that they would come to you in humility. They would seek forgiveness of their sins. They would repent from all they've done, turn away from evil, and turn to you. And Father, I'm asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you draw men and women to you, both in this house and those who are watching online. God, would you draw people to you? I believe today someone is going to make that decision to follow Jesus. They're going to be saved, and their life will be changed forever from this point on. Let it be so, God. Let it come to pass. We pray. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before we get...